0: Here we go, boys. Go. Hey. Oh, I love that sound.
1: This is a good one. everybody and welcome to the full-scale outdoors podcast waterfall Wednesday edition this is your host Nick Johnson let's talk about some waterfall stuff I just got home from the dive bomb squad fest calling contest vendor event Murphy 500 contest or Murphy 500 concert it was awesome the guys at dive bomb did a great job um, I did Road trip down there with three dudes I'd never met, so thank you very much to Zeth, Nate, Fabio for letting me tag along. We made some awesome memories, had some fucking crazy good belly laughs, and uh, just in general had a great time. I, I hung out in the Pacific Calls booth almost the entire time. I judged a couple contests. I judged the uh, two-man meet where Corey Nickum and Trevor Shanahan won it, and I judged the uh, Open Goose where my buddy Mike Benjamin won it. And that, both of those contests, all of the contests there are just ridiculously strong. They're, they're so hard to judge. Like when they, when they ask me to judge, like I get a, like a, like an apple stuck in my throat. I just, I'm so, so nervous. I'm nerve as nervous, like judging as I am actually competing. Cause it's so much, it's, there's so much on the line and I, you just want to make sure you hear the guys. Uh, a hundred percent because judges can make mistakes the same way a caller can make mistakes and you know so it's it's almost like being on stage for the entire contest when you're trying to judge it that um diligently and you know i know what it's like i've been in contests since i was 13 years old you want a judge back there that's that gives a shit that's uh listening that's taking good notes and i try to be that judge and uh god dang it it's hard um But in round two of the goose, um, caller number one came out and I was just like, almost like, how the fuck is this contest going to go? Because I had like seven or eight people in round one that just brought it and they all got high scores from me. And, uh, then round two, caller one, this guy steps on stage, I don't know who it is and just destroys the stage like one of the most solid goose calling routines I've ever heard in my life. I put down a 9 and my notes just had a star as in like this guy should win. And it ended up being Mike Benjamin and he ended up being the winner of the contest. But um he was not my high in in all three rounds. Well, he was my high but he had other people tied with him. Round 2, he uh he gained a point on my scorecard. And I don't know if I've ever given her out a nine before, but that's what I that's what I gave Mike in round two. He did an excellent, excellent job. Uh, one of the funnest, coolest goose calling routines that I've ever heard while judging. And um, man, even with the meat duck callers, that's that is just getting amazing how skilled these people are at it. Um and they had a bunch of really good uh novice contests down there. Um some novice meat ducks, some novice goose calling stuff. Uh, one of the guys I carpooled with Zeth, he did his first novice contest. so um you know, that's awesome to have the balls to get up on stage and I think he I think he made it to round two and not round three. so that's a good showing for your first contest. And uh, what else happened uh, at at squad fest? Oh yeah, I can't we have a blood oath to never discuss whatever happened to end (laughs) i'm just kidding no it was it was a really really fun time went out shot some pool that night and um went back uh saturday was just a great great day in the parking lot 106 degrees tons of new products there the dive bomb guys had a ton of new stuff which i I wish I had more time to like look through everything because there were so many good vendors. Boss was there. Foils was there. CNS Calls was there. Uh, Front Range Guide Service was right next to us. I got to meet Jeff Callwell, who's a super, super cool guy. Just OG goose guide from Colorado. Really stacks him up. Um, sweet to meet him. Uh, the Pacific guys had uh, tons of new calls. They brought out They've got their, they're as best as they've ever been right now. Pacific Calls is just smashing the game. Um, They had several new calls there. Um, They had a new spec call. They call it the Big Boar Spec. And uh, that thing, it was awesome. And it's got like, they've got their own either machined brass guts, machined acrylic guts, or machined Delrin guts. Who does that? Who machines their own guts? Like they have quite the shop operating out there in Spokane right now. Um, it's really cool to be with those guys. They also have a, they had a new duck call that came out. If you want to hear some sound files for these things, um, go to the Pacific calls fan page on Facebook. I posted some videos. They also have a new cackling goose call or lesser call. Um, called the BA, stands for Bill Austin, a tribute to Trevor's dad who tragically passed away this year. That thing shreds. It just absolutely shreds. It's a huge, open-bore, tiny-length little cackling call, and um, that was really cool to play around with that. Let's see, they got the big-bore spag. They had the no, like a no-name, single-read, J-frame duck call. They hadn't named it yet. It's not a prototype. I kept saying it's a prototype. It's not. So um, playing with all their new calls and selling them to people and seeing people's excitement over the new calls um, is really awesome. Oh, and how could I forget? There's a new Nick Johnson signature series that is coming out this year. And we made, they had seven of them made before the con or before Squad Fest. We sold all seven and um, which was really satisfying. And the difference between this Nick J and the previous year's Nick J is length so when we made that one piece call, we made like tons of different lengths and tons of different lengths to which the guts would sit in the call. So do you want the guts closer to the mouthpiece or do you want the guts closer to the exhaust? Well, we just made a ton of different prototypes and a ton of different lengths. Last year, my favorite combo was the 4.25 inch um, Signature Series. We dropped it last year because it's just a really good like uh, traffic call, Really good on fast double clogs. I would call it a, a versatile all-around call. And then last year, I was hunting with two different calls, two prototypes. We actually, in addition to all like the one-piece calls we made, we came out with like four different designs on... We didn't come out with them. We prototyped them. They built them for me of of actual like standard regular like two-piece calls where I've got a little bit of a different thing going on on the inside that I think is really cool. Um, so I hunted with one of those and then I also hunted with this the longest goose call we made of, this, of the one piece which is a 4.6 inch call and I just tuned it to be a monster honker like that 13 pound honker and uh, I ended up really loving that combination for hunting last year. Like the two piece call I had was just ridiculously too loud. So I could, and, and it was fast, but it, it, it only did that basically. And then once I got birds, like within two, 300 yards to where they could actually hear, um, that 4.6 inch, 13 pound honking goose call, I would finish them with that. And it got to the point where I was like, this works weirdly good. Like it just, The goose call is so long, you're starting to lose a lot of the versatility. Like, you can't do the super, super fast stuff. Like, it probably would not work out well in a... If you're trying to do, like, contest routine speeds and versatilities uh, in this new, like, 4.6-inch length call, it it wouldn't be there. You could get 80% of that stuff, but you definitely can't get 100% of it. So the versatility is, is, um, pared down a little bit, but God dang, the tone was so good. And I could just get these big old goose, just cluck modes, like honka, 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 honk, or even just clucks, just gluck, 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 gluck. And it would lock wings like so ridiculously good. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this, this is the call we, we should make is, and so I pitched it to him. Cause I didn't, I wanted to make that that two-piece call too because it was super loud and super cool but um we already came out with the versatile one last year and now we got that 4.6 inch length and it's just I called I called it the closer and also I called it the life size because 4.6 inch it's life size it feels good in my hand (laughs) you know it's just funny thing to say when I was hunting with people (laughs) um so we're gonna have that at game fair we'll have a bunch of them available to buy um if nothing else stop by check it out it's um it's a hell of a goose call and so are a whole bunch of the other goose calls that the Pacific guys are coming out with. Um let's see what else is going on. That was my Squad Fest weekend guys. Like if you're if you uh if you can plan on going next year, if you buy in advance like uh plane tickets, like when they announce what the dates are and you get plane tickets, plane tickets to St. Louis are about dirt cheap from about everywhere. I uh I did not plan ahead this year, so I ended up driving with the with those guys but um any calling contest is just it's a great time it's a great it's a great experience to meet all the vendors talk to them in person hang out watch some of the best waterfowl calling on planet earth uh, shake some hands have a couple brewskis um yeah it was an awesome awesome weekend i can't thank the guys at dive bomb enough for for putting on such a well run event it was super super cool um let's see what else i got going on i just finished up writing the uh, the September Early Canada Goose Season Tips and Tricks Pacific Calls blog entry. I don't know if they're going to blast this out like on their email list or if they're going to blast it out on their social media. Hopefully both. But it put a lot of effort into it. And obviously, if you ask me to write uh, some tips and tricks about hunting early Canada goose season, you're going to get an article that's all about hunting molt migrators because that's all I've done. Like the last eight years, like I don't go scouting. I don't go scouting before. er I should take that back. I usually do go scouting once. I will put one scout into the early season, like goose opener. I'll head out. I'll drive around. If I don't find nothing, I am okay with it. The best is always yet to come for early season, and that is molt migrators. So, like, it's never, like a big deal. I I usually hunt anyways. I'll just go do something totally fucking random and somewhere in in a public spot, do something crazy, you know? Like, it's not that I'm not gonna hunt. It's just that I don't give a shit about opening day. Like, yeah, we're gonna get out there and I spent $9,000 on gas to find this 40 bird feed. You know, it was the 86th one I asked for permission on. I finally got permission. And look at that. Our roost is getting busted this morning. Sweet. No, I do not put a lot of effort into opening day stuff. I put the majority of my effort into molt migrators. So I think I got some really good tips and tricks on getting people to break out of their shelf for hunting molt migrators because it just is a weird concept to people. It doesn't matter how many piles that like I can put up and show you and tell you like there was no geese in this field. There were no geese on this pond yesterday. We hunted the weather, we hunted the flight line, like a traditional flight line, we hunted just north of a refuge, or just north of a major city, or just north of these suburbs that stack up, or just north of, like, a good staging area that traditionally, like, by mid-September, is kind of shit-stacked with molts. Like, we will set up there in random alfalfa fields, random public ponds, random... Grass fields, random uh, silage-cut cornfields even, even though those aren't great because of the color. Random wheat fields. um, We set up on random fields, but not on random weather. We're looking for those cold temps north. We're looking for those light winds. We're looking for that daily overcast condition, something that is going to keep birds moving. Um, If you're not familiar with hunting molt migrators, um, some of the keys are... Light winds, and it almost if you get zero wind, it doesn't matter what direction it says on that weather app whether it's two or one or three out of the east or three out of the southeast. In my experience, if a weather app says that it the um if the miles per hour for wind is going to be between one through four, what they really mean is zero. There is no wind on those mornings, like for, at least for like 90 minutes or a couple hours, like the time when it matters. So, I'm looking for cold temps north of us, time of year. I'm looking for those light, windy days. Um, The reason that you hunt light, windy days is because when giant Canada geese migrate, they are using their honks, their vocal communications, to locate other geese. When they're migrating, they're not looking for food. They're not looking for water. Well they're going to need it eventually, right? What they're looking for when they are migrating, you know, let's just call it hundred miles, 50 miles. They're getting into a new area, an area they haven't seen since last year. Um, Those geese are looking for friends. So it doesn't matter if you're on water. It doesn't matter if you're on a field. It doesn't matter if you're in a parking lot. Your number one weapon is that goose call. And your number one time to use it is on no windy days because that's 360 degrees. Your goose call goes the furthest. So, if you're looking for some good information, too, on hunting molt migrators, um, if you go back to Waterfall Wednesday, uh, it's episode... I don't know what episode for Full Scale Outdoors it is, but it's Waterfall Wednesday 50. Look up Waterfall Wednesday f- number 50. That's one I recorded last summer, and it's all about hunting molts. I think I got some, some good tips in there, too, about e-scouting. Because um, hunting molt migrators, uh, you should be employing several different electronic scouting techniques to your arsenal because we are hunting random places that, not random, you know, not the Mojave Desert. We're hunting in fields that otherwise we have not seen birds using. We're hunting in ponds that normally you're not going to have anybody out there hunting for geese because there hasn't been any around. We're just north of minneapolis we're north of watertown south dakota we're you know when i say north i mean like right north like a mile north or we're uh, on this chain of lakes that geese typically use as landmarks uh freeways freeways are other good landmarks there's lots of um areas you can pick out like i think geese would travel down this way you're probably right so when do you go hunt them um The way I use eBird, ebird eBird.org, is I go to eBird.org, I go to the map, I type in Canada goose, so I'm only looking at um, Canada goose, I'm only looking at reports for Canada geese, and then I'm going to punch in, like, just September. So I'm only going to be looking at September migrating Canada geese, and I'm going to get a heat map. And I can start to, like, at least get a general idea. I've done this, like... In areas where I've wanted to go hunting, too. Like, um, punch in October. Like, I want to take a trip in October. Where are good mallard abundances in October? And then you look at the eBird reports. You can do the same thing for, like, Canada geese in September. Go to the map, punch in Canada geese. Narrow the window down to September. And then how about just September for the last five years. Or you could go the last 10 years. Where are the reports coming in? And then you can see a lot of reports like, okay, in this area, oh, there's a lot of uh, reports of Canada geese in this area. Let's take a look. You see like September 1, five geese. September 1, three geese. September 6, five geese. September 15, 250 geese. Okay. Well, you know, you look at enough of these, um, you look at enough at these eBird reports and you can be like, Okay, um, September 18th, 100 geese. September 21st, 500 geese. September 23rd, 750 geese. And then there's another one. September 3rd, 6 geese. Like, all right, well, it looks like they show up around the 15th. Bingo, that is really, really solid information that you can use. Sorry, my green-winged teal dog is going apeshit up there. Um, so that's eBird, like, you can really get some good historical data, like, not only kind of get an idea of flight pass, but also get, uh, an idea of historical timing of when this migration shows up, like, oh, all right, in this area, like, September 15th, man, it seems like goose abundance sure radically improves, I bet that if I was, uh, watching the weather and I wanted to hunt in this area, and it was September 13th or September 12th, and there was a cold front and a cloudy day and very light winds... I bet you we could kill some molts there, and you're you're probably right. Um, so that's how I use eBird uh, to find a lot of interesting stuff. Heck, you can even see. But people will report that 250 birds were in this field yesterday. Like, all right, thanks for scouting for me. If you're looking for very very recent history, it's on there. People are putting uploads on there every single day. But you can really really get a lot of amazing information about where to hunt, timing of migration, what species are pushing through, interesting and unique birds, pictures of birds um, using ebird.org. Another um, e-scouting tip that I put on there was birdcast.info. Birdcast.info is a migration tracking website that started in 2018, and I've I've talked about it quite a few times, but they actually have... um, here, yeah, let me pull this up. Actually, it's super interesting to here, to go over. Um, they just have a, this new feature added. So, what well, Birdcast.info is is a Doppler radar migration forecasting technology website. These people figured out. Okay, if you can see raindrops on Doppler radar, I'm pretty sure we can see birds, and they can. They can basically watch birds migrate in real time on Doppler radar. From this, they started to actually make um, migration forecasts. In the spring and the fall, they'll go three days in advance, so you'll see like tonight's migration forecast, tomorrow night's migration forecast, the next night's migration forecast. And they do it overnight because that is that is when most birds, including waterfowl, prefer to migrate. But I will say that um, geese will migrate whenever it's good migration weather. It just so happens that most of those good times are at night. Not all of them. A lot of them happen during the day as well. They're not a strictly exclusive night migrator. I, if I had to put a number on it, um, I'd say I bet, I would say they probably do, on average, 70% of their migrating migrating at night for Canada geese and 30% during the day. So like on a really good early season, if you get some re- like really good days migrating, if you get three or four good weather days for um, migration, that's really good. So birdcast.info, what did they add? They added the. Uh, they just added this new feature this year. It's called. Okay, go to birdcast.info. Click on migration tools. Okay, so they got the bird migration forecast maps. They got the live migration maps, and then they got bang. That's what it's called, the migration dashboard. That's a pretty sweet deal. It'll um you actually put in like your city, your state, your county, and it'll tell you what birds or how many birds migrated through last night. And they even try to do some species, um some species identification on there. Again, birdcast is not just for Canada geese or ducks. It's for birds, all birds. It's for warblers and it's for robins, it's for everything. But this can give you a really, really good idea. Okay, if you know, like, let's go back to that um, e-bird. Let's go back to that eBird scouting we were doing. We, yeah, mid-September is a hot time for this area for the goose abundance to go up. And it's September 12th. Well, let's look at BirdCast. Oh, BirdCast is uh, predicting 20 million birds migrating through the area tonight or tomorrow night. Okie dokie. Then you go to... Um, your next app, which is the last one I'll talk about, which is your weather app. The weather app is going to be the weather app is going to be the actual deciding factor for are you going to hunt tomorrow or not. My favorite app, I I use quite a few of them, but I use the Windy app the most, um, and I'm a premium subscriber. It's not that expensive, if I remember right. But Windy app is going to give you a wind animation of your entire region. But when you're a premium subscriber, you can start to watch how the wind will change every single hour. You can add different layers to it, like precipitation layers and temperature layers and all sorts of crazy awesome layers. Like, this is my number one hunting app. It's as accurate as the rest of them are right and that's another thing to be said too. use a couple different weather apps to figure out um how you're going to if you're going to hunt tomorrow how you're going to hunt tomorrow use a couple and because they're usually conflict but be ready to hunt during the september season like stay on ready keep keep a, a dozen floaters and, and your waiters in your truck at all times and know where you can like easily walk into a quick spot you know like if there's any chance that you could get out of work early a couple hours because they're just they're pushing hard that's you need to be on the ready have some uh silhouettes in the back of your truck and a farmer or a place you can hunt that where you're like can i get permission for September, you know, you can work out deals like that or have a public spot in mind where if you, if you happen to go out on first break at, uh, at your job and, uh, you see two flocks of migrating geese come over the top of you, you don't go back in and you call out with COVID and you go hunting. <laughs> uh, I think September is a great time to actually keep a permanent spread up as well. Just in case there's been so many times where I've looked at the weather, I'm like, eh, Looks all right for migrating geese, I guess. What is it? September 10th or September 8th. I'm looking at it like mm, five mile an hour, southeast wind tomorrow, partly cloudy skies. Yeah, probably won't happen. Then I then you end up going to work and it's cloudy skies. And that southeast wind at five is actually an east wind at one or zero. And there's honkers rolling over the rolling over town all morning long. It happens. It happens. Um, I like to say there's a five out of seven chance that a good migration day happens on a weekday. It's just math. Five out of seven days are weekdays. And the geese might come through at any time. So with that in mind, like, how would you set yourself up to possibly be able to do good honker hunts on a weekday? Can you set it up to where you could come in even a couple hours late because... Sunrises are real early in September so if you start maybe at 8 maybe you could get a few days you start at 10 or 11 on a short notice basis or something talk to your boss be like I might do this see what he says um it's not a stupid idea just set yourself up for being able to react to the migration as it happens now it's so conditional like it it'll turn on when the weather's good and it'll turn off when the weather's bad like with no wiggle room on either end like all of a sudden the clouds roll in and the birds are rolling you run out to go get set up it clears out it's sunny skies and you just sit there till sunset and you don't see a goddamn thing it happens it it, and it you just got to be prepared to fail and be prepared to react because when you are there when it happens there's nothing better on earth than hunting a big canada goose molt migration and a lot of guys, too, are like... I, another thing I hear from people about molt migrants is... I don't think we get as many molt migrants in the area as you do. If you see a spot in September that's got like 150 geese on it or more, or 100 geese or more, they came from somewhere. Like, there's not around a wheat field. If you scout and you find a wheat field that's got 100 geese on it, those geese came from somewhere. There wasn't like... 50 there wasn't like 20 pairs of geese that all had like four chicks within a two mile radius of that wheat field. And now they're all just happened to be feeding there, hunky dory. Like there was some migration. There was some movement that happened to make a hundred geese be in one spot at one time. They are starting to congregate. So if you know that, if think back, think historically, where have you found big feeds of geese? When did you find them? That is also historical information just like the e-bird stuff. To think back would be like, okay, those birds came from somewhere, they came at this time, and they came to this area. There, it's That is going to be a thing that recurs every single year. If you've got this area like we're mid-September, like, god dang, it, it, it's filled with honkers. But like early in the year, not so much. Those are molts. And you can set up some pretty crazy wild awesome hunts on them if you just Think about it. Just use your historical knowledge. Where do geese congregate? Refuges, um, cities, this area over here where there's a bunch of silage fields that farmers start to cut around mid September. Um, geese or um, molt migrant geese typically make their way back to their natal birthplace, which means where they were born is where they are going to come and stage at. So if you know of an area like a major metropolitan area or suburban sprawl that has a lot of baby geese there, well, next year, those baby geese are going to be molts making their way there and so on and so forth. Um, If if you are, I don't know if I went over exactly what a molt is good enough. I do in the article and also. If you've just kind of been listening to this, going, okay, what the fuck is a molt migrant? I have never heard this term. Go back, listen to the water, next. Wa- listen to the Waterfowl Wednesday number 50. I have to do a really good description on what molt migrants are. The short story is, these are non-breeding geese that go to northern Canada, the Arctic Circle in some cases, to spend their summers, molt their feathers, get new feathers. When they get their new feathers, they start making their way back home. When they start making their way back home, it's going to take them like, a month to get there, maybe even six weeks. They stagger their way down through rural Canada. Then they um when I say rural, I mean like over the trees and in the woods and, and on all the lakes. It takes them weeks to do it. And so it's always kind of a debate too, like when are they gonna show up? When do molts arrive in your area? It's a tough question to ask. You need to use that eBird data and your historical knowledge to kind of put a pin on it, but it's not exact every year. I've had, um, I've had, uh, one of my best migrator days was on Labor Day, but that was also one of the earliest huge molt migrator pushes that I've ever seen was, uh, Labor Day. It was the Monday of Labor Day. And, uh, but other than that, it's been typically mid-September and, Basically, the way I think about it, those geese are anywhere from 1,000 to 1,400 miles north when they're molting in the summer. They get their new feathers, and they start a direct southern line, and they're going back to their birthplaces. Okay, imagine you have a straight drive to work. Your commute is not 1,000 miles, but it's long, and on that route, there's 100 stoplights. The stoplights for a goose are the weather. You know, if they migrate one day because they have a green light, good weather, then they stop in an area, they might have two days of red light, bad weather. Then another day of green light. Well, if they keep getting green lights, like good migrator weather, good migrator weather, good migrator weather, good migrator weather. Day after day after day after day, they're going to arrive really early. But if they get bogged down for four days here... And then they get good migrator weather for three days. You know, it's like it's dealing with a commute that has a lot of traffic signals on it. You might make it in 20 minutes to work and you might make it in an hour to work. It just depends on those fucking lights. And molt migrators are kind of the same way. They've got a lot of steps of their journey. And if they end each step and the next morning they wake up or that night they get another green light, they continue. They migrate every time the weather tells them to. So if they just get a lot of good migration weather, they're going to get there fast. But this is all part of the fun of hunting molt migrants. Anyways, um, that's going to be coming out on the Pacific Calls blog. Um, I'll post links to it and stuff. And shit, that's 31 minutes. Dang. All right, guys. Well... Download the Goose Tech app. The number one thing you can do to kill more geese, there's a direct straight line equation between getting better at goose calling and killing more geese. Do whatever it takes to kill more geese. It's the $20 app, a one-time purchase. We're going to launch the subscription stuff like later in the summer, but it ain't out yet. Get the $20 app. Practice your goose call. Get Joe Heinz's um the Roost. Um, Joe Heinz has a ton of awesome footage on there. Scott Trinan has a ton of awesome goose calling instruction. Um, I'm not affiliated with the Roost. I'm on a couple podcasts on there. I'm not affiliated with them at all. I want you to kill more geese by becoming a better caller. Just use every um, every single resource at your disposal joey vasalo is another great resource he's helped a lot of people out goose calling Um, reach out to people ask them for help get goose tech get the roost i think that'll do it for this week i'll catch you guys later i'm gonna end it right there see you next week